0: Good morning, friends. What we just experienced there was uh, the song Farewell, Saigon. And it uh, describes and shows Saigon, Vietnam, before the end of the war. Um, One of our panelists, Young Trinh, suggested that song, and we're grateful for it. So lean in today for personal reflections from Vietnam, addressing themes in our 2022-23 2022-23 EMU Common Read, who knows the title, The Best We Could Do. Now, if you have not read this book yet, there's still time. It's the common read for the full academic year. And I think after this pan- the, or the reflections, you may want to read it or read it again with some fresh, uh, f- fresh lenses. Our panelists today sharing reflections from their experiences um, with in, in or with Vietnam are Young Trinh, Rebecca Dietz, Earl, they're on this side, Earl Martin, Caleb Schrockhurst, and they will introduce themselves and their relationship with Vietnam while being interviewed by Professor of Language and Literature, Kevin Seidel. Thank you, all of you, for being here. To give a little bit of a sense of the common read, just in case you you need the introduction or reminder. Let's have a video um, segment from the author, T. Buu.
1: Hi, my name is T. Buu. I'm the author of The Best We Could Do, an illustrated memoir. Um, I'm really excited that this book is part of uh, the NEA Big Reads for 2022 and 23. Um, It's really exciting to have the story live on. Um, And it's wonderful to be part of a a theme about connecting neighbors, because I've always thought of it, um, not necessarily as just an immigrant or a refugee story, but as an American story. Um, My family is not special, um, as I say in the intro of the book. Uh, We're very typical of a lot of uh, refugee and immigrant families. And it often takes decades uh, to unravel the knot that is that experience. And so I'm uh, very fortunate to have two parents who let me share our family's story. Um, And I hope that um, communities can use my family's story to delve into the incredible complexities um, that exist within families like ours, the journeys we've gone through and the um, things that we pass down uh, from generation to generation, some of of which are pretty hard to talk about. Um, And I hope that our experience can be used to understand many experiences that um, have uh, come to the US and continue to. So one thing I've always wanted to do wanted to be asked about the book, um, but no one has actually ever asked me is um, on the inside cover of the hardcover. Um, in my uh, first bio, I talk about growing up, uh, remembering um, what it's like to kneel on the shag carpet uh, and record mixtapes from the record player. And I grew up listening to Paul Simon and Beatles. Um, so a lot of people People have asked about my Vietnamese cultural influences. But the thing is, I came here when I was very little, and the cultural influences that I had were very mixed. Um, And this, to me, is identity in the US. Um, So I'd love to be asked about how Paul Simon lyrics have influenced my writing. Um, And I'll give you the answer. Uh, They've influenced them a lot. life as both beauty and sadness together, um, and how that exists across the board. Um, You can see it riding the bus or uh, in your own family. Um, This is what I took away from that music that I grew up listening to on records and recording to mixtapes.
2: Thanks again for being here. Again, my name is Kevin Seidel. I teach literature here at EMU and had the privilege of teaching this book last semester in my college writing class. Um, It's a book I liked the first time I read it and thought this is a good book. I'm glad to teach it. And and what impressed me most was how the book got better in conversation with my students and as I've talked to people about it on campus here at EMU. the book continues to get better and better. Um, so I'm excited about this conversation this morning, just to give you all a chance to hear more about Vietnam, more about the book, um, and we'll see what conversation goes. So I was just gonna start on my left here and have each of you um, introduce yourselves, tell us your name, uh, a little bit about what you do for work, and then also some about your connection to EMU. So
3: Good morning, uh, my name is Rebecca Deeds. And um, my connection to EMU is uh, many years ago, I was a student here, and um, also we have a son that just graduated from here last year. So over generations I've been connected. What I do for work, um, in the early days of my work I was a therapist, and now I'm mostly volunteering, uh, working in the community. Trying to bring some programs into the community where we live, which is Columbia, Maryland, that uh, suicide um, prevention for high schoolers called Sources of Strength. I um, am working on racial reconciliation and I uh, run a group of kids that deal with talking about race and other topics that nobody wants to talk about. I go there.
4: Can you hear me now? Yeah. So my name is Young Trinh or Ching Duan Zung in Vietnamese. Um, my connection to uh, EMU is uh, I married an uh, alumna of EMU and my son is also an uh, alumni uh, here at EMU and he's uh, also in the audience with us. In my work, I spent uh, 25 years uh, as an engineer at Hewlett Packard. In 2012, I left HP and to start my own company. And I also, uh, it's part of my um, uh, commitment in my own uh, work of um, helping uh, the homeless. So I'm trying to find affordable housing for the people in Columbus, Ohio.
5: Um, I'm a carpenter I do uh, renovation carpentry in people's homes Um, And I'm a grandfather of uh, four grandchildren Uh, I'm a neighbor of EMU I live just down College Avenue Um, uh, My wife and I taught some classes here years ago Um, But before that, we worked for 25 years with uh, uh, the Mennonite Central Committee.
6: Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Caleb Schrockhurst. I graduated undergrad here in 2018 uh, and graduated from the seminary uh, just in December. Uh, For work right now, I work as the racial justice and church relations leader for Virginia Mennonite Conference, which is a group of about 60 churches um, throughout uh, five states, including Virginia. Um, My connection, uh, yeah, to EMU, as I already stated, kind of have a long familial history here, um, and we'll speak more about my connection to Vietnam, but along with Earl, uh, worked for Mennonite Central Committee in Vietnam for two years, um, from 2018 to
2: 2020. Thanks, everyone.
6: Um, So say a little bit now, we'll go around again,
2: uh, about your connection to Vietnam, your experience with Vietnamese culture, um, why you've migrated into or out of Vietnam, Yeah, just tell us a little bit about your connection to that that place.
3: Well, this gentleman who's sitting next to me, I met almost 40 years ago (laughs) and uh, ended up marrying him, so uh, we, we jointly have our son who graduated from here. And that was my introduction to Vietnam, was marrying into a Vietnamese refugee family. And I've been part of that family for over 30 years now. And uh, only visited Vietnam for the first time over Christmas, so um, that's yeah.
4: So uh, for those of you who have read uh, this book, like Kevin said, highly recommend it. It's a wonderful book. Uh, I myself have a lot of things in common with the author Thi Bui. Uh, I was born in Saigon, Vietnam. I still call it Saigon, even though now they call Ho Chi Minh City. Um, And uh, my parents also came from the north, just like the author. Um, They were born in the north. And in 1954, um, when Vietnam was split into um, two parts, so they came to the south. And um, so I grew up uh, in Saigon. And also, uh, the first part of my life, I went to French school, uh, just like the um, author mentioned in in the book. And uh, the... uh, The the war, the Vietnam War, had a profound impact um, in uh, the author's life as well as my life. And uh, we are here because of the war, as a result of the war. And we are both both people. So we are here in in a new country. And um, yeah, so we share a lot of things in common. (laughs) Yeah.
5: When I was uh, 21, I dropped out of college, uh, eager for something uh, more active. um, And I volunteered with the Mennonite Central Committee to go somewhere. And at that time in 1966, the war in Vietnam was beginning to pick up. And Mennonite Central Committee was sending... (coughs) people to go to Vietnam to be with the folks who had become victims of that war. So they uh, asked if I'd be willing to go to Vietnam. I said, I sure would. And um, uh, for me, it was something of an adventure, I must say. Um, And so I arrived in Vietnam, did some language study, and then was sent halfway north <clears throat> in the southern part of Vietnam to an area of the country that had been fought over uh, very fiercely, and there were casualties every day. Uh, as soon as I got there, I realized that the war was, was going strong, um, <clears throat> and every day I would see jet fighters flying over uh, the area. Every night at night, I would hear the artillery guns from the fire base just outside of town, firing their 105 millimeter or 155 millimeter howitzer guns out into the countryside. Uh, Frightening. At first, you would hear whoom, whoo boom, you could follow the trajectory, trajectory of the shell through the night skies. And in the morning sometimes you would see the farmers with their makeshift stretchers carrying a victim in from the countryside um, to the hospital in the town where we lived. It became a daily experience and so it was that that affected this young man Um, and then uh, others joined our team Uh, a woman from Harrisonburg Virginia of all places came and joined our team by the name of Pat Hostetter and uh, uh, our job was to ride bicycles out to the refugee camps where the farmers were living and there we got to know them and hear their stories of how they had experienced the war and i must say there were just one too many bicycle rides together and we're still riding bicycles together 55 years later
6: uh, and we live just down the street (laughs) yeah so uh I also worked with MCC, um, so as I was wrapping up my undergrad here uh, at EMU, I wanted to, you know, we talk a lot about service, we talk a lot about uh, being global citizens here at EMU, and um, I wanted to kind of give back uh, to the international community, to MCC, um, and I was really game to go pretty much anywhere in the world, um, but I've, I've always had a connection to, to Southeast Asia, and um, Vietnam in particular, I think, is this country that stands out as one um, where there has been, you know, has been at the fault lines of, of geopolitics that are totally out of their control many, many times over history, not just the American War. Um, but I was able to get a position there um, working at a publishing house. So I was one of, uh, Kevin was one of my professors. I was an English major, shout out English majors. Um, and uh, it was really just a, a, a totally eye opening experience for me and really marvelous um, to, so I worked as a volunteer. Um, editing documents and books that had already been translated from Vietnamese into English but needed kind of a final English eye before they were published. And I was the only Westerner in an office of about 30 people, um, which just proved to be a really, really wonderful and rich experience of being totally immersed in language, totally immersed in culture at this office, um, and still in uh, have some really deep relationships with those folks who guided me there. Um, I, the program I went through, MCC, I would recommend all of you, if you're interested in service, it's called SALT, Serving and Learning Together. Um, is a one-year commitment with MCC, and there are postings all around the globe, um, and it, there are postings based on a lot of different careers. Uh, my fiancé also did SALT. She was um, a nurse, worked at, as a nurse in Bangladesh. So really, regardless of your career aspirations, um, you can consider um, checking out MCC. Um, so I really intended to go for a year and then come back. Um, but as my time was wrapping up there, it really felt like a, a year was not enough time. Um, and I had really, really enjoyed the language study and culture. Um, and then luckily, MCC invited me to stay for a second year um, with, to kind of commemorate the 65 years, the 65th anniversary of MCC's work in Vietnam. Um, and, uh, that work culminated in the publication of this book, um, 65 Years of Walking Together, uh, the MCC Vietnam Story, which features Earl quite a few times. Uh, but basically, I, I share that as well um, because uh, we as Mennonites, we as EMU, the, the experience of Mennonites in Vietnam really changed a lot of our perspective on politics, on global politics, and our, really pushed us um, to more active peace building, not just staying on the sidelines um, but, but becoming much more active. Um, and so this story uh, and my time in Vietnam has been very, very uh, impactful on me. So, yeah.
2: Great, thanks everyone. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, about T. Bui's book. Um, Rebecca, do you wanna just get us started? Talk about a theme that resonated with you and then each of us can share a little bit about that or each of you can share a little bit about that. Um, just a the theme from the book that, that you resonated with.
3: So the theme that really caught me was trauma. And um, I just so happened to be reading at the same time a book by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, And that's talking about how in trauma, trauma ends up in your body and stays there till you find a way to never really totally get it out but calm it down. Um, And one of the things that I noticed was that T-Boy wrote so many different ways about how shadows were stretching far and reaching them. So she said, one, my parents took us far away from the sight of their grief. Certain shadows stretched far, casting a gray stillness over our childhood, hinting at a darkness we did not understand but could always feel. This was one of maybe seven or eight ways she said that, talked about how the shadow from the past was traumatizing them. So I wanted to just talk a little bit, and and there was a lot of abuse in this book, father, grandfather, and I wanted to kind of give a perspective on that. Um, Researchers have found that traumatized people keep secreting large amounts of stress hormones in their brain long after the danger has passed. If you haven't had traumatic stress, cortisol puts an end to that stress by sending you an all safe signal okay, I was in a crisis. I almost had a car accident. Ah, okay, I didn't. I'm fine. I'm moving on. And then your brain goes back to normal. When people who've had severe um, stress and what we call trauma, when they're having a flashback, they've now been able to scan the brain and only the right side of the brain is working. So as we know, The left side pays attention to facts, statistics, events. It explains our experiences to us and puts them in order. The right brain stores memories of sound, touch, smell, and the emotions they evoke. When the left hemisphere is not working, we then cannot organize our experience into logical sequences. We can't put our feelings and perceptions into words We can't identify cause and effect. We can't grasp the long-term effects of our actions and a lot of other things. When something reminds traumatized people of the past, their right brain reacts as if the event was happening right now. They are just furious, terrified, enraged, ashamed, or frozen. And when we see all the trauma that was happening both as because of the war and all the different ways the families had to respond to survive and then the beatings that happened by both her grandfather and father. It's a way to understand that is a traumatized brain, not good people versus bad people. Um, There are good good versus bad actions which is different than people. And as I was reading this, I had a memory of when I was here four decades ago in a, I think it was a social work class, professor's name was Titus Bender. And I think more than once he said, everyone does the best they can at any given point in time. And I thought of that as I was reading this book and I didn't even think about that, that's the title of the book, <laughs> the best we could do. And um, I think that's, we do the best we can, given what's going on in our brain, which does not mean we can't learn after we assess. Thank you.:
4: Yeah, for me, two things that uh, really stand out on the book by T. Bui. Um The first one is um, related to what Rebecca just shared about uh, um, uh, trauma and being uh, a refugee and an immigrant every refugee, every immigrant who comes to this country has a story to tell, and usually in the story it connected to some kind of trauma, some traumatic experience. They've they, uh, been through um, living in a new country, learning a new language, trying to assimilate to the new culture, different food, different diet, so a lot of difficulties that uh, the author share uh, in the book. Um, One of the things that um, uh, the author shared in in the uh, introduction piece, and she said that her family is just normal. The same thing, my family, we're just normal people. We grew up and I went to school, play soccer, just like any kids in any part of the world. And then like Earl mentioned earlier, so the war came. So all the bombing, all the ravaging s- happened uh, in, in uh, uh, Vietnam. So um, because of that, so here I am in the US, I'm, uh, learning the new language, learning the, the new culture. And for me, uh, it's a little bit unique experience because learning American culture is one thing. Learning the Mennonite culture, the subculture is another thing. <laughs> so. Here I am <laughs> learning sorry, new, two new cultures. <laughs> uh, but uh, the wonderful thing about the men and I, the things that the, the theme here I always love is uh, the do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. To me that um, uh, the, the values that we, we, we feel like we could share and I, I myself would relate it to. So, so that, that's one thing. And the other thing here is in the broader picture, Caleb mentioned about how the war in the global context have tremendous impact on many, many people's lives. So looking back in the Vietnam War, and the image that many people have seen here, the helicopter trying to rescue a whole bunch of people flying out of Saigon. I witnessed, I saw that in my very eyes. I was there. So when I saw the image of the C-30 one uh, thirty in um, Kabul, Afghanistan, um, when the uh, airplane running out they were the, 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 you know, going down the runway and with a lot of people hang on because they see that that 's the mean to get them to freedom, and some of them could left behind and I could experience that dramatic you know, mm, mm, image that that i 've seen there, so the thing that we're trying to learn is that um, U.S. is a powerful country, and how could we elect leaders who understand that war causing a lot of suffering, a lot of dramatic experiences for people? How could we learn from that moving forward?
2: Thanks you too. Maybe just a couple comments and just things I, I, I love about those descriptions of the book. But Rebecca, when you were reading. What happens to us in trauma, as far as we lose a sense of chronological time, words fail us. Um, there was another thing you said in there too. Um, but that that sense of like history becomes disjointed. We don't have the words to express that. It made me think of it's a good description of what we see when we open up that graphic novel, right? She's she's playing with. Uh, chronology, she 's trying to express and draw things that we can't put into words, so it 's almost taking that experience of trauma and turning it into something, doing something beautiful under those conditions maybe. Um, and Young, when you talked about seeing that that famous sort of scene or picture, I mean I, one of the things this book is worth reading is if you have very few images of Vietnam um, that you get from the media, the graphic novel kind of expands your repertoire of like what Vietnam looks like, what people from that country look like, and have gone through. And I'd always thought it from the perspective of someone like me who, who has never been there. But it's good to hear it from from your perspective too. Like there are images that are sort of like stamped on your brain, but now maybe there are other images to put alongside of it because of that book. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing. We'll keep going. Sorry mm-hmm. to jump in there with my. Yeah, English professor observations, but we'll keep going.
5: No, we so. love to hear them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we should be interviewing you also uh, uh, if you've been teaching this book. <laughs> uh, Thanks, that's kind, but it's, it's more interesting to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, there was so much about this book. It was just powerful. I loved it. I started reading it, and I often read the first quarter of a book and then lay it aside and not come back to it. This one just pulled me right in and just kept me going the whole way through. Um, um, so many things could be lifted out. Uh, one place uh, when she's talking about the war, T. Bowie says, every casualty in war is someone's grandmother, grandfather mother, father, brother, sister, child lover. And so true. It made me think of the young Vietnamese woman who lived with us, uh, with Pat and me, during our second term in Vietnam. We were there a total of five years. We went back the second time to look into the problem of unexploded munitions. Uh, left in the fields at the end of the war to see if for some way we could clean up some of those unexploded
3: munitions.
5: (coughs) During that time a young woman lived with us. Her name was Trin. Uh, Trin was woefully shy, country girl, uh, 17 years old, uh, but helped (coughs) bounce our little baby Min, who was just born after we got there, uh, on her hip and play with our two-year-old Laramie um, and help cook meals and just be a friend. And eventually we learned, she was so shy she didn't tell us at first, but eventually we learned that her father had died when she was small, of smallpox, um, Uh, But we didn't know what happened to her mother until one day, much later, when she could totally trust us Americans. uh, She revealed that she went out as a young girl to weed the rice fields. And as she was weeding the rice fields, suddenly she heard this screech overhead. And she looked up and saw this silver jet plane flying through the air diving down toward her village she was so afraid she went and hid by a rice dike to protect herself <clears throat> the plane made a second pass and she saw something drop from the plane and suddenly her village was in flames and she realized it was the it was the firebomb napalm. After the plane went screeching off, Trin managed to pull herself up, go running back the path toward her village. And as she approached her village, she saw that her house was in full flame. She went up to her sister crying mama mama where's mama and her sister just nodded toward the burning the burning house everyone's victim in war is someone's mother is someone's sister is someone's brother That's true in Ukraine today as much as it was in Vietnam. It is war. And yet, I must say that in reflection on trauma, that we were so impressed that Trinh still had a grace and a poise and even humor about her. Uh, And overall, during our five years in Vietnam, we came to the conclusion that Vietnamese have something in their DNA, or something in their history or their nature that makes them extremely resilient. Not that they don't experience much trauma, but somehow uh, we were so impressed time and again, with the grace and the beauty the loveliness of the Vietnamese people,
6: yeah, thanks so much Ro. Um yeah i I think th- this book has has so much powerful and Im- important uh to say to us. Um, I think the theme that really jumped out at me is you know are are we today as as conscious and and as Willing to step up to support refugees in the U.S. as as we were in the in the 70s, and um, you know, Ukraine and, and Afghanistan have already been mentioned, but we we can forget uh, just like the the U.S. empire is is still playing this role abroad, and and how do we, as as North Americans, as American citizens, are we conscious of the privilege that comes from our passports? Are we stepping up to do all we can to welcome newcomers when they make it to North America? Are we speaking out, electing politicians who are anti-war? These are things we can do. Um, and, and we must, um, as people of faith, as people of conscience, this is, is one of the things that, that we really need to carry forward. Um, I, I want to hit this, this point of resilience and forgiveness again. Um, the kind of indelible image for me is of my host mom, uh, Ko Lui, who, um, you know, when she was young growing up in the North, uh, she remembers, you know, she didn't have electricity and, and would regularly, her village would be bombed by the Americans. Um, And then now, uh, you know, 30, 40 years later, she hosted three different psalters over the years, so welcoming Americans into her home um, and kind of, yeah, showing tremendous forgiveness, tremendous resilience in that. Um, I also highlight that because Vietnam has changed a lot. Uh, since 1975, and my host mom who grew up, um, you know, out in the village, her sons now, you know, have had cell phones since the, uh, like, age of 12 or 13, and so the pace of societal change is is really incredible, and we, we're all experiencing that all over the world, but that was one of the, the really neat things um, in Vietnam. Uh, Just kind of last point on on kind of responsibility. It also goes, responsibility as North Americans. I think it it goes beyond um, just war, but also climate change um, is something we've contributed to massively disproportionately. um, And it's countries like Vietnam that are going to bear the the brunt of that. Um, So one statistic, which I'm going to try and pull out of my brain, which I haven't used in a while, but I believe it's correct to say that 20 million people in Vietnam live at five meters or lower um, in terms of sea level. 20 million people live either at sea level or within five meters of of sea level. So by 2050, 20 million more Vietnamese people might be displaced by climate change. And that's not as direct necessarily as our role in the war there. And yet we still, um, how do we contribute positively to that Um, and, and think about climate refugees as well as war refugees?
2: Thanks, Galen. Um, we've just got a few minutes left, and um, I thought I'd just make one short observation and then ask you all just to maybe share a few more just questions that you're left with after reading, reading this book. Um, but I watched an interview with T. Bui where she was presenting the book and then had friends of hers or just people in the audience read the, the dialogue that you can see as you move through the, the novel. and um, She said she loved hearing other people read the voices of her family because it it helped them sort of live on in the voice of others. And I think I was thinking about what you said about uh, the way it it depicts like almost an ordinary experience for people in Vietnam of going through the war and having to leave. Um, So there's something about that, the way it names grandparents, brothers, sisters, um, and sort of... Keeps her family alive as we read it, but I think it also invites those of us who have been through similar things to to name and remember particular people, right, who have um, who've been through similar experiences. Um, yeah. But maybe some last questions that this this or just some yeah some questions this book is leaving you with, and I don't know, if, Rebecca, are you ready for, with that? And can we go yes. around? Yeah. yeah. Great.
3: I had one and now I have a second one uh, based on uh, what you just said about how how we live our lives affects the whole world in terms of climate change. And I think so much of how we live is unconscious. Somebody tells us who we are, what, our, what we should be, and society opens up certain opportunities for us and closes down others, and then we unconsciously follow that path. And so one question is how can we become more conscious both about our individual lives and the world and our role in it. Um, And I don't think we teach that in our schools. Um, I think it's something very, very important um, that we need to be learning. The second question is how can we human better? I have a friend who keeps asking that question. How can we human better? And I think one way to human better is to really examine our conscious and our unconscious assumptions and where will that take us?
4: It, it's very interesting that um, uh, this month, 50 years ago, the Paris uh, Peace Accord was signed between Henry Kissinger and Lady Tau. And uh, that was basically the end of the US military Presence in Vietnam. It was 1973. So two years after, as we all know, S- Saigon collapsed and the people were left behind. My family <laughs> was left behind. My dad was working for uh, uh, part of the U.S. Uh, um, uh, he he was you know working in the uh, communication department, and his boss was the American uh, advisor. So and he felt very bad that uh, he was left behind and his family was, uh, was left behind. So, so for me, thinking about the future, um, there was uh, a movie called Vice, and we, you know, there was uh, Vice President Nick Cheney, and uh, he was, uh, there was one scene that he was in front of uh, the closed door that was talking to uh, Donald Rumsfeld, and he said, behind that door, um, President Nixon and Henry Kissinger was coming up with talking about how w- they could do carpet bombing in order to mm, wipe out the Vietcongs and the communists um, in the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So for me, that's was that image was so powerful because when we think about, we talk about the leaders, the politicians make decisions in Washington, D.C. that have tremendous impact on people's lives. The grandfathers, the grandmothers, the aunt, uncle people get killed because of p- some decision that some leader made in Washington, D.C. So how could we learn that to bring peace and humanity to, to the people in the world?
5: I guess I, uh, <clears throat> I finished reading this book uh, with a sense of gratitude uh, to people like T. Bui um, who honor us with their stories. Um, and I think of many people in our own society, uh, immigrants from Latin America, immigrants from Africa, Uh, immigrants from all over the world uh, who honor us with their presence and with their stories Um, often having gone through very similar uh, circumstances to what T. Bui and her family went through and uh, so my hat's off uh, to people uh, with this history and with this um, uh, respect uh, for us, to share their stories with us, we are the richer for it, and we're all the richer as we mine our own stories and find commonalities in them all.
6: Yeah, I'm, I've been so blessed uh, to hear from all four of you, all three of you uh, today. and. Um, I think I really appreciate what Jung said, kind of, you know, the basis in the Old Testament, one of the most indelible images, you know, do justice, love kindness, uh, walk humbly with your God. And I think the most indelible image for me of the New Testament, you know, when Jesus is asked, like, what is the main commandment? What is the most important thing? And Jesus says, well, love God and also love your neighbor. Um, And the character in that story asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Um, So as I think about, questions going forward. I think that that's one thing we always have to ponder. Who is our, our neighbor here in North America, and who is our, our global neighbor, and, and how are we seeking to love them? Thanks, everyone. Could we
2: just have a round of applause for our, our panelists here? Thank you. Thanks you all
0: for, for being there. Again, if you, if you are compelled to read the book again or for the first time, go for it. I th- we have copies in the library and, and just around campus. Ask around. Uh, for closer, um, Jung, would you and Earl um, come and offer some quotes or poetry that you've prepared for the closer and then we'll have campus announcements and go on into the day. Thank you so much, everyone.
4: I'm just reading some quotes from um, another Vietnamese author by the name of uh, Nguyen Phan Gui Mai. She wrote a book called The Mountains Sing. So, here are a couple of quotes from her book. As long as I have my voice, I am still alive. I realized that war was monstrous if it didn't kill those it touched, it took away a piece of their souls so they could never be whole again. If our story survive, we will not die, even when our bodies are no longer here on this earth. Only through love can drive away the darkness of evil from this earth history will write itself in people's memories. And as long as those memories live on, we can have faith that we can do better. Thank you.
5: And I'd like to share a poem from uh, a Vietnamese uh, monk. Titnya um, Khan um, uh, whom we had the pleasure of meeting uh, uh, during the war, but he was in exile at France in France at the time. Uh, he has recently died back in his homeland of, of uh, Vietnam. Um, and he was very involved at the time when people were leaving Vietnam by boats. And some uh, boats were uh, assaulted by sea pirates who would steal from the boats and rape. And he talked about how angry he became when he received some of these letters of what had happened. And yet he searched more deeply in his own soul. And he wrote this poem called, Please Call Me By My True Names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today I am still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosizing on the surface of the river and I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once, so that I can see my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion."
7: Thanks to everyone who could be here this morning and being part of this space, and thanks again to our panelists. Uh, Thank you for the beauty and vulnerability of your sharing, and we will continue to hold that with dignity. Um, Looking forward into this week, there are many exciting events. Um, Tonight we have our biweekly hymn sing with a special surprise theme that is related to Lent. Um, And also tonight, and through this weekend, we have Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812, sure to be a great performance if you can make it out to that. Um, And this weekend there is a student sustainability summit right here at EMU um, related to questions of how we can care for people around the world by addressing the imminent climate crisis. Uh, We are looking for both people to participate in the summit and take part in the discussions and volunteers who can help make the logistics work out and make the event possible. Um, And our athletic teams have several matches this week, but they are mostly away, so please keep them in your thoughts, and if you see athletes around, uh, wish them luck in their competitions. Thank you. You're all dismissed.